Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Uh, at 14 years old, we would spend um, our late spring, or uh, sorry, early spring, late fall fishing because just down the road from us was a pond, and I'm pretty sure the average size of a fish in there was about half a pound. It was. I'm convinced there was like just some some family in our community who would go out and catch a bunch of fish and like stock this pond. Because every once in a while, you'd be like, you'd be out there with like little kernels of corn and hooks, just like catching like little tiny sunfish. And all of a sudden, you would just see a massive catfish that this big in the bottom of a pond. You're like, yeah, that's not natural. That's not supposed to be there. But somebody put that there and I want to catch it. So we spent all of our time trying to catch that and didn't catch it once, which was kind of disappointing. But then when I was 14, my friend Nick was like, hey, do you want to go fishing with us at an actual lake? Yeah, I would love that. And so they brought us up to this place called Cross Lake. Anyone ever heard of Cross Lake? Beautiful area. Um, he, he, it was a big old fishing trip, so we got a bunch of snacks. We grabbed all the tackle we had, all the fishing rods, and we set out to go and have just a fantastic fishing weekend. Let me tell you what, Friday was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Didn't catch a single fish, didn't have a single nibble, was no fun. Saturday, we're like, you know what, not a big deal. Oh, by the way, we are camping in a tent and it was like 45 degrees at night and so like you woke up in the morning and go and you could see your breath didn't care you're eighth graders right you can just sleep on the ground under the stars didn't matter and so the Saturday we're like you know what today is a better day we are gonna do awesome and sure enough nothing absolutely nothing and I'm starting to wonder maybe we're just the problem maybe it's not that the fish aren't biting we're just terrible fishermen anyone had that debacle so Sunday, I was like, all right, here's the deal. We are going to catch a fish today. It's happening today. Sunday morning, nothing. We get a bite, and we're like, yes, here it goes. We, 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 the bobber goes down, and we catch a little northern pike about that big. And we're like, this stinks. This is no fun. We quit. But we're like, all right, let's just do one more cast. Whenever you say one more cast, it's pretty much an omen, like you're about to just catch a monster. One more cast. Whoosh, nothing. Well, he goes, all right, forget this. I'm done. Let's go back and eat some hot dogs and make some s'mores. That sounds like a much better plan. And so I no sooner start to reel in when all of a sudden I see my bobber start to dance a little bit. And I'm like, was that me or is that like a fish? And sure enough, I just let it sit. And with that, boom, bobber goes right to the bottom. I set my hook like you would have thought I had a 2,500-pound marlin on the end of that sucker. Like, I, I'm surprised I didn't pull him right out of the water. And boom, you know, we're, we're reeling in, we're reeling in, we're reeling in. And we finally get it close enough to where we can grab it. And it's a massive walleye, just a fat, big walleye. And I'm like, yes, yes. Like, we got to, this is before smartphones, so you didn't have pictures. We're like, we, maybe we can fillet this and have it for dinner tonight. That's a good idea. And so we, 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 we get up, and I was like, hey, grab the bucket. And he's like, didn't bring the bucket. We're doing this thing. We're like, what do we do? So we did only what eighth graders would probably think is a good idea. We biked the fish back to the campground. We're on our bike one-handed doing this with the fish. And people are like, what are you doing? Like, like, we're getting dirty looks. So they thought we were, like, you know, humiliating the fish. They're like, what the heck are you doing? And I'm all pumped to, like, show his mom and dad. They're like, I was like, look what we caught. And they're like, what are you idiots doing? Get that thing in water. And we're like, thanks for the excitement, guys. That's awesome. 
So we end up getting it in the water and we end up flaying it and it was all good. But I remember at that moment, I was like, you know what? Like, let's go back and catch another one. Up until that point, I was like, let's just go home. This is the worst. But when you have that, that fishing has that effect on you, right? And just when you're like bored and you're done, you're ready to call it quits. When you hook that monster, when you hook that, you're kind of, you're rejuvenated to keep going again and again and again. And I think James in the Bible has a lot to do with that. He's very, very similar in that sense. James, the, the author of the book of James in the Bible here, he was an incredible pastor. He was a pastor of an awesome church in Jerusalem in the New Testament. He's also a skeptic. James was a skeptic. He was a half-brother of Jesus, and he didn't even believe that Jesus was who he says he was. Yet he has this crazy experience with Jesus. He gets to know who he is. He goes, man, you are who you said you were. And James becomes this fantastic pastor who has to deal with a bunch of stuff. He had a bunch of trials in his life, a bunch of setbacks, a lot of things that came at him. And he actually ends up giving his life as a martyr. He literally died as a martyr because he was persecuted so much. Yet before he dies, he writes this letter, just like Matthew, Luke, John, the other disciples, Paul, Peter, the guys who follow Jesus closely end up writing a letter to the early church, kind of like a, hey, these are the things I want to instill in you. These are the things I want to teach you. And so when you open up the book of James, while it's five little chapters in our Bible, it actually was really one long letter to the early church in Jerusalem. And so James opens up with a nice little greeting and then just absolutely smacks him in the face with this idea that when you go through tough things, be happy about it. And I talked a lot about last week, like how in the world does that make sense? But I got good news for you today. He does it again. He's got another just tough message, slap in the face, in a good way, a holy way, if you will. And it picks up in James 1, verse 19. You're going to love this one. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's easy. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Another super easy, super practical life lesson that we're all really, really good at. Being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Anyone with me on that one? I got to put my hand down because I am not good at any one of those three. Being quick to listen, definitely not. Slow to speak, absolutely not. Um, and, and slow to become angry, well, I'll let you decide how I feel about that one. But I love this book about James because somebody called this so, so accurately, the two by four book. And I'm like, two by four book? He goes, yeah, it feels like a two by four hitting you in the head every time you read it. Because it's just an absolute hit in the head, slap in the face, like, okay, you know, this doesn't make sense. I can't be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's just not possible. But as hard as it is to do, the dude's right. What would our world look like if we were quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? What would our political atmosphere look like if we were quick to listen and slow to speak? What would the controversies that happen and the things that he did this and she did that, or what would it look like if we just took time to go, let's, instead of just like, we're also quick to just be like, blah, here's our two cents, here's our thought, here's our everything. 
before we actually go, let me just actually hear to understand, right? Because we're good at listening. We're not good at hearing. I'm sorry. We're good at hearing, not listening. Not the other way around. Trust me. We're really good at hearing things, but instead of actually processing them and hearing what they're trying to say, we're hearing so that we can come back with them with what we have to say about it. And so the same thing happens in the politics controversies, work disagreements. Anyone have any of those? Where that person at your work that is lovingly and awesome and great that you just can't stand, taking the time to be slow to speak and slow to become angry is a difficult thing. Marital discussions. Moving on. It's one of those verses where you read this and you go, okay, that sounds really, really good, James. That sounds like a great thing to do. Not going to work for me. That's not how I roll. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Yes, it's a good and noble principle. Yes, it's something I probably should be doing but this week, I definitely did not do that. This week, I was just, I flew off the handle at this thing, or I did this thing. I just, I have a tough time struggling with my emotions. But I think what's so important to see is that this whole idea of anger is not just an isolated topic. It's something that actually fits into the bigger part of what he's saying. And so if you read in verse 22, if you continue right after what I just read, it says this, James 1, verse 22, do not merely Listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. If my grandpa were alive, if he were to kind of sum up last week's sermon, he would say, you're not a quitter. Quitters quit, winners don't. I've heard, I heard him say that to me even when I was, I was younger. But this week, if my grandpa were here, and something my dad has told me time and time and time again, kind of a, a punchy one-liner that sums up what James is saying in our text today, it would be this. Stop just going through the motions. Stop just going through the just going through and doing it with no intention, no heart, and just doing the task. Stop just going through the motions because this happens all the time. If you've been at your job for a long time, there are probably parts of your job that you can do with your eyes shut, and sometimes probably do. You've done this for so long, you're like, I literally could do this with one hand tied behind my back, falling asleep, and checking my fantasy football all at the same time. You're just good at it. You've, you've done it for so long. Doing stuff at home, whether it's mowing the lawn or doing the dishes or whatever it is, you, you get to this point where you just like don't have to even think about it anymore. You just do it subconsciously. Here's the really scary one. You ever just been driving home after a really long day at work? And you're thinking about what happened at work. And you're thinking about what you, when you get home, all the stuff that you got to do and all the stuff that's going on. And you get in your car and you drive and you get home and you go, how did I get here? You ever have that? A little terrifying. Like, who did I run over on the way here? Because I don't remember anything about this drive. But when you do something for long enough, when you do it consistently enough, you develop a muscle memory that is mental and cognitive where you don't even have to think about it anymore. You just do it without even thinking about what's going on. And that's a really, really good thing because you get really, really efficient at it. But the problem is, is that after a while you go into autopilot. 
You just do it without even thinking. And while that's a good thing sometimes, it actually can be very, very tough because you're not fully there. We see this in marriage a lot of times. Sometimes you get so into the rhythm of your routine and doing things and accomplish things. All of a sudden you look up and a month and a half later you go, hey, we should probably go on a date. We haven't done that in a long time. I'm going to get some people in trouble here, but it's all good. Sometimes when you're really good at being on autopilot, you can be listening to the spouse that's talking to you when in reality you're talking about where you're going to go fishing next weekend. Nobody else, just me. Okay. Parenting the same way. Ambition for life is the same way. We get in such a rhythm, such a routine that we forget why we are doing what we're doing. We forget what our heart behind it is. We're there, but we're really not. And James is basically telling us, stop just going through the motions. Because James is actually talking to the early church in Jerusalem, at which time this was written. A lot of the people living in Jerusalem were devout Jews who turned Christian. They spent their whole life studying Jewish belief. Yet Jesus comes in, drops a bomb on the whole scene, and all of a sudden they're going, cool, like, I love you, Jesus. I'm all in for you. Yet they still had this Jewish background. And so if you know much about the Jewish background, it is a very, very, very rhythmic belief system. From an early age, before they're even old enough to walk, they're being taught certain things about religion, about faith, about everything else. They have certain days of, uh, of ritual and festivals and everything. We have Christmas and Easter, but they have like five times the amount of special spiritual holidays that we do. They have special times of prayer every day that they go, and they go to a specific spot to pray for such a certain time, and they, they pray certain prayers. It is a very, very rhythmic belief system. And here James comes in like a foghorn saying, stop going through the motions. Just do it. Stop just going about and doing everything you're doing. Actually do what you are studying. Because as Jewish converts, here's the reality. They knew more about the Bible than anybody else in the world. When we were over in Israel, it was amazing because there were kids that were my age that knew the Old Testament better than almost anyone else I knew in the world because from before they could even read, they were being told about the Torah or Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's their law that they live by. It's ingrained in them. And why I don't need to know all of this, the, the reason that it's so important is because there were people who knew the Bible backwards, forwards, sideways, upside down so, so well that it almost became a hindrance to them. What do I mean by that? There was a group of Jewish people, Jewish studiers, Jewish believers called the Pharisees. They knew the Bible so, 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 so well. So, so well that when a man named Jesus steps onto the scene, they don't even give them the time of day because it doesn't match with what they know. These men knew the Bible so well, yet when God walked in front of their very eyes, they walked right past him. It's one thing to know what the word says. It's another thing to do it. You can know a whole bunch about the Bible, yet completely miss the message of what it's saying. We can do this the same way in our church today. You can slip into autopilot. 
You can come to church. You can get your family loaded up, grab a wonderful donut, come in here, listen to our wonderful worship band, do awesome, listen to the goofy pastor who's incredibly loud and obnoxious, and walk out the door and not change anything. How? Because we heard, but we didn't apply. We heard what the word said, but we didn't do it. I love what James said. It's almost like you look at yourself in the mirror and forget what you look like. There are some days I wish I could. There are some days I wake up and I'm like, what did my wife see in me? But she's never said that out loud, so that's good. This book of James is practical and simple. They, he gives you something very, 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 very practical to apply to your life right here, right now. And it's really, really simple. Not simple as in easy, not simple as in, oh, that'll just be easy. I'll just do that cake. But simple in the fact of this is what you need to do. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Yes, all those things are very difficult to do. But in reality, those are the keys to what we need to do. It's simple. And it's another reason why the two by four is so, so applicable because it is, it is that. It's hard to do, but it's so, so good. Here at the bridge, the reason why we exist, the reason why we do everything that we do from the smallest tiny actions to the biggest pillars of our church, we desperately desire that every single person that walks foot in our doors comes alive in Christ. What that means is that the person who's agnostic, the person who doesn't believe, the person who's an atheist, we believe and desire for them to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus, as well as the person who knows a whole bunch about Jesus, the person who's grown up in the faith their entire life, we desire for them to have the same life-changing encounter with Jesus as the other person. Why? Because there is no end to who he is. He's infinite. And so it doesn't matter how much you've been down this trail. It's not like a ladder scheme. It's not like a job where you go from point A to point B and B is the end. There is no end. And so whether you are 65 and new to the faith or whether you are 85 and grown up your whole life, there is still more to Jesus than we currently have. And our desire is that you would come alive in him and grow closer to him wherever you are out in that spectrum. Just because you grew up, grew up in the faith and you're th- th- at this stage doesn't mean you're any better or any worse than the person who's over here. It just means you're a different spot. But we're all headed that way. We're all headed towards him. And so when we look at the book of James, when we look at what he's doing, this is the roadmap. This is how we get to go, go cl- grow closer to him, get to know him better, and become better versions of ourselves. It's going to require some work. It's going to require some application. But this is how we do it. And there are, there's a, a, a reason why when we go through tough times, when we go through trouble that jacks up our rhythm and jacks up our life, there's a reason why we grow closer to him. Because we take what the word says and we do it. When your back is up against the wall and you're going through something that's really, 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 really difficult, you pray. When you're up against the wall and something's going really, really tough, you ask the pastor to pray. You go and talk with somebody. You open up this Bible. You turn on some worship music. Whatever it is, when you're going through something tough, you take what the word says and you do it. 
And what happens? Verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. When we do what it says, we are blessed in what we do. So what does it say? What does this massive book say? A whole bunch. But some of the things that that come to mind right away, shout to the Lord and give him praise on your good days and on your bad days. There are really, really good things in every single day, even if it seems like there's a whole bunch that's wrong. There are a lot of times when life is a struggle, but there are still things to celebrate and find joy about. It says to pray without ceasing. What does that mean, that you never stop praying? No. It means that we have to get better at praying in our car, praying when things are going well, things when things aren't going well, pray without ceasing, sharing our story, sharing the gospel, setting our eyes upon him, seeking first the kingdom of God above all else. There's a lot of good things. But I don't think the struggle is in knowing we need to do that. It's, I think it's the struggle is in knowing that there are just something within us that resists this sometimes. If you back up and go into James 1 verse 12, it says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There are a few creatures that embody temptation like dogs. For those who know me, I have a golden retriever. I'm training him to become my duck hunting dog, and it's been so, so fun, but incredibly frustrating all at the same time. Because dogs understand the struggle of temptation. So my dog knows that if I say kennel, it means he has to go and sit here and sit on this little table until I tell him to get off. And we've gotten really, really good at that. But about a year ago, when we were instilling this in him, to really kind of make sure that we had this down pat, I put him on kennel and then took one of his bumpers, the big things that I use for retrieving, and I sit here and I just do a little little one about five, 10 yards away. And he looks at it and he's like, already like, I'm ready to go down. Whenever you're ready, just please send me as soon as you can. He's sitting there all crazy. And I'm like, all right, bud, I'm gonna go around the corner. So I go around the corner of my house and I kind of peek around the corner. And this is over about two minutes. I see this. And then he takes another step. Like I'm not in trouble yet. And finally, between when he hits half the distance, he's completely off the thing. But he's like down in like this like, like stealth position. I come around the corner. I say, hey! And he goes and runs back to the kennel like he had never been there. Like you're not, I saw the whole thing, dude. Like you're not fooling anybody. But I, I remember that because I think in a lot of times that's how temptation runs for us, right? Like there are things inside of us that we just struggle with. It could be, it, it You name it, right? You know your temptations. But a lot of times it kind of feels like, let me just, 
I, I know if, if this is like the sinful action, if this is the thing that I know is wrong, I, I don't have to get all the way over there. Let me just take just a little, this, this, this isn't bad. Like this, this, is, this is well within the things that are good. So I'm just going to take this step. And then you're kind of like, uh, maybe I'm going to go to this step. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation of trouble. And that's tough for us to hear because nobody likes being told they're sinful. Nobody likes being told that, you know what, inside of you there are things that are not necessarily what God wants for you. That's not a fun, fun conversation to have. And unfortunately, some pastors, probably very well-meaning pastors, are really good about just like sticking that knife in that wound and twisting it. Like, you're awful and you're a sinner and you need to repent and do all these things. And yeah, But we're all have our temptations. Present company included. We have temptations. And it says right here in the verse that those temptations come from us, that God doesn't tempt us. He's never, he doesn't tempt anyone. And while that maybe feels like you're all alone on an island, what I find refuge in the fact is that if he is impervious to temptation, we can find him for strength and refuge. Jesus himself was tempted. The human part of himself was tempted. Satan comes and tries to tempt him and do all these things and just kind of just like pull out the temptations in his flesh. But Jesus stands up to it. He's the only person that has ever done it, ever will. Because it says this in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so while our temptations will shift from person to person, while they'll shift from severity to severity, the reality is every single person in this room, every single person watching online, every single person in the world has temptations. And so a lot of times we read texts like this and we feel ashamed of ourselves because they expose a part of us that we don't wish we had. They expose things that we desperately don't want people to find out because they just feel gross and nasty. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that, that James puts this whole temptation talk just before this text of saying, do the word. Take what the word says and do it. Because it says here in verse 25, let me read it to you one more time. The perfect law that gives freedom. How can the law give freedom? Because the law is the law that says, if you do this, it's sin. If you do that, it's sin. How can that bring freedom? Because the law exposes our sin. The law exposes the things in our life that are not good. Yet Jesus covered that distance. The law gives freedom because it shows how far we've missed the mark. Yet Jesus covered that distance, and he covered that up. That is freedom because we see our need for Jesus. I want to end our service this morning with a picture, a picture that I think parents in the room will empathize with on. So before you show the picture, Asher, there was a day when my wife had to be at work. Thank you to our fire extinguisher, by the way, or our, our thing. Got to love that. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I changed the battery last week, but maybe I didn't. So sorry in advance.
my wife had to go into work that day, and, and I think one of our kids was sick. I know that was the case. So our kids were sick, so I needed to be home instead of taking them to daycare. And so um, and when you work from home, if you have young kids, if anyone can empathize with me on this one, working from home while you're watching your kids is, um, is mutually exclusive. You, you get zero, and I mean zero done. When you are working from home while you have your kids with you. Because as soon as you sit down to do stuff, Dad, I'm hungry. Okay, let me get you a snack. You get them a snack, and all of a sudden you hear, because ah! you know, someone took someone's toy and it just doesn't work. So I was like, you know what? Dad of the year, here we go. I'm going to get my stuff done right here. I, 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 I felt a little bad, so I'm like, here's your tablet. Here's your snacks. Here's a whole bunch of toys. Just... Be quiet for like 10 minutes and just don't make a noise. And it worked. All of a sudden I look up from my computer and it's been like 30 minutes. I don't hear anything. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like I crushed this. I did it. My wife's going to be so impressed. I was like, it's quiet. I'm going to keep on going. I worked for another 30 minutes. Didn't hear a word. And I'm like, yes, I have mastered it. I'm like, I better go check on and make sure they're alive. That was probably a good thing. So I go to open up the door. And it moves a little bit. All of a sudden I see there are toys up against the door that make it almost impossible for me to open the door because they took every single toy, every single puzzle piece, and just made a mess in the room. So let me show you what I walked into. Parker's in jail because she was making a mess. So I put her in there. I was like, I got to handle this. Ellis... I said, okay, bud, start cleaning up. And he went back to playing with some of his toys over here. And I'm sitting here like, like I see different puzzles. I see different cars. But they're content to play. They're like, let's go. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this because this, this happens very, very rarely. But I sat down. You can see where I was sitting, the one bare spot of carpet there. I sat down, and I'm just, like, angry, right? Because I had told Ellis, like, hey, here's your tablet, here's your snacks, here's some toys. Please don't make a mess. I would have been better off saying that in Chinese, I think. Because <laughs> he didn't care. He just did what he did. But I sat down, and I was just angry and I was stressed because I still wasn't done with my work. I knew Meg was coming home soon and if she saw this mess that I allowed happen, oh boy, I'm even deeper trouble. And I sat and I'm just, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm stressed. And I did, I felt like God said to me in this moment, Derek, I see the mess. I see the complete mess that happens in your life. And we pick it up one piece at a time. We pick it up one piece at a time. I see the whole picture. I see the big mess. I see right through it. All you have to do is do one piece at a time. And we're going to get it. A lot of times in our life, a lot of times when we deal with the things of our flesh, when we deal with temptation, when we deal with the things in our life that we desperately wish were different, it feels like one big nasty mess. A mess that we can't clean up. A mess that frustrates us and stresses us out because we don't know how in the world we're going to get it all to reconcile. Yet God is up in heaven. He's in our lives. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives and he sees right through the mess. He sees right through the stuff that we wish was different. He sees right through the temptation 
creation. He sees us and he sees through it all. And all he's asking us to do is to take it one piece at a time. One piece at a time. Yeah, you might be addicted to that and you might be struggling with that and you might be really angry and a really abusive person, but you know what? What we're going to do here is we're going to work on this piece. We're going to work on this part of our life. We're going to trust and welcome God into this situation and trust that he's going to work it through. And when he does that, you start to realize, oh man, God met this need for me, so I'm going to do it again. And one by one, piece by piece, we grow closer. So when we take this word, when we take it and do it, what he says, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to go from this to that overnight. You're going to take two steps forward and one steps back. If you're trying to grow after God, go after God, guess what? You're going to get really good at fighting that temptation for so long, but all of a sudden, boom, life will hit you in the face and knock you back. What you do in that moment makes all the difference. Because you're now farther ahead than when you were, but now you're set back. But guess what? Thankful for us, we have a God who paid the price. We have a God who took our sin, took our junk, and is is willing to take that upon himself. So guess what? You don't have to shame yourself. You don't have to tell God how much you failed. You don't have to do that. You just say, you know what, God? Would you forgive me and help me keep on going? Dust yourself off and keep on going. That's what this book says. So this morning, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening. But for me, something I'm working on, there are things in my life that I got to get better at. Maybe not inherently big, awful, sinful things, but things that I know are not what God wants for me. And instead of going, God, I'm sorry, I just stink. Like, just, just forgive me. It's going, you know what? God, would you help me with this? And step by step, as we grow closer to him, it gets better and better and better. And that is the God we serve. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to persuade him. You don't have to just wipe the outside of the glass and go, here God, here's who I am. He sees through the mess and he wants to be smacked out in the middle of it with you. So in a James-like two-by-four slap across the face way that I can possibly do, my challenge for you as you walk out this door is what is one thing, what is one piece of your life that you really, really, really want to give to God? Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's whatever it is. What is one thing that you need a touch from God in? And this week... I want you to take that one thing, go on to Google, open up this book, find out what this word says about it, and figure out some practical ways to do it. I'll tell you one thing, mine right now, I'll let you in, worry and fear. That is the one that I struggle with a ton. And this book has a lot about worry and fear. But the tough part is applying it. What are the practical things? Accountability partners, prayer things. There are all kinds of things that we can do, but when you focus on the one thing and give it to God, say, God, help me with this. Show me what your word says. Help me to do it. All of a sudden, you look back and you go, man, I'm a lot better than I was last week. It's a lot better than I was last year. And you grow. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for what your word says. Lord, I thank you that your word is full of truth and full of hope. God, for the person in this room, the person who's watching online, the person who's going, you know what? 
I want to come alive in Christ. I want to know who God is. I want to, maybe I did it before. Maybe I, I, I had a relationship with God, but you know what? Now I want to recommit. I want to redo. I want to say, you know what, God? Here I am. I'm ready to do this for real this time. Maybe it's for the very first time ever you say, you know what, Jesus, I just want you in my life. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I want you to, sh- to show you something. When you do that, all you have to say is, you know what, Jesus, forgive me for how I've, I've wronged. Forgive me for what I've done. I need you and welcome you into my life. And the word says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you are God, God, that you are, you show up. You come into our life right there, right in that moment. Whether it's in the car, whether it's in the church, whether it's in our living room, whatever it is, you come into our life. And if that's you in this place, I want you to do that when you're ready. Even if it's not here. But if that's you, I want you to text our church number, 763 It's on our website. Just text yes, and we want to help you with that next step. We want to help you take that one next step and for everyone else whatever our one thing is God we give it to you this week would you help grow us would you help us go through it in Jesus mighty name we pray amen amen and for everyone else whatever our one thing is God we give it to you this week would you help grow us would you help us go through it in Jesus mighty name we pray amen Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.